Hi, and welcome to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm Angie Cabe, CEO and co-founder of Intuity Performance. I'm a performance coach, HR professional, whole person leadership facilitator, and your host. The Human Side of Business podcast is fueled by the genuine curiosity to understand how personal characteristics and skills can be leveraged to drive individual and team performance, tangible outcomes, and ultimately organizational success within business. Each podcast is devoted to sharing knowledge, expanding our learning edges, and exploring the trends in corporate culture towards growing the emotional intelligence of organizations. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Human Side of Business podcast. We have Gabriel Cohen here with us. He's the CEO of Audio Design Desk, which has won a 2002 NAB or NAB product of the year. They're CES Innovator and Fast Company's next big thing in tech with its AI-assisted software suite that reinvents the process of creating audio for video. It comes with over 50,000 royalty-free sounds, loops, and music cues, and is integrated into the most uh, audio and video editing systems. This has been seen or used on Netflix, HBO Max, Amazon Prime, and others. Uh, It gives creative ability to perform sound designs, sound effects, and music in real time, turning hours of tedious work into minutes of immersive fun. So I'd like to welcome Gabe to the virtual studio today for our podcast. And albeit he is in the tech industry now, but today we're really going to focus on healthy workplace culture and how to sustain it. Welcome, Gabe. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit about your your background and maybe expose us to a look at Gabe when it comes to building culture. Uh, great. Um, so yeah, I started my career as a musician in high school. I, you know, fell in love with playing music and with writing music and I got really lucky. I had a high school band that turned into, you know, a big enough deal that MTV came out and did a little rockumentary on us, (laughs) right? Right. Which is, which is simultaneously really fun and super embarrassing. Um, (laughs) And, and, you know, the next year I got signed to Geffen Records. I, I, I started in college, but then I got signed to Geffen Records. And I, as this young person, got to go and see the world. I'd never been anywhere before mm. touring and, and actually getting paid to go to these incredible places and play around the country and play with some of my heroes, uh, you know, at really big venues. Um, a few years later, I was hired by a guy named Roger Corman, who's sort of a famous filmmaker in Los Angeles. The guy's made 400 feature films. Oh, wow. And and he hired me to score a movie. And one of the things that happens in Roger Corman's uh, studio that's different than most of the other studios, in, in other studios, you're siloed, right? Music is just the music department and they don't speak to editorial and they certainly aren't part of reshoots. But in Roger's things, the thing, you know, he makes movies for like $50. So everybody is like, hey, hold a boom mic, like go to set, you know? So all of a sudden I was getting exposure to all of these departments mm. um, uh, while I was scoring the movie and I fell in love with filmmaking. I'd always kind of made things with my camera, always written stuff, but I never knew that I could pursue it as a career and, through 
scoring this movie, I fell in love with filmmaking, went back to film school, got my master's degree in film directing. Mm. And my first year in film school, I met a guy, another student who was really ambitious. And we were like, let's go make a feature this summer. And so we, we, we decided we'd take one week to shoot, you know, a 90 minute movie. We wrote the movie together. We cast it together. We went and shot it together. And, uh, you know, we made this little movie for $15,000, um, uh, that that sold all over the world. We made $250,000 on that movie. Wow. And we were like, oh, and we're still in film school. We're like, oh, my God, this business is going to be so easy. Like, we're gonna- <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So so I went to Rwanda with the, my part of the money and did a documentary on reconciliation and forgiveness. And my Amazing. partner. And my partner did a a, a drama, a a feature film on the effects of alcoholism on a family. Mm. And neither one of those movies really sold, right? We found Mm. distribution, but we didn't make any money. So that was our sort of foray into when you make a a genre film, they're relatively easy to sell. When you make often more meaningful work, it's harder to find an audience, you know, especially for just so interesting. And so we started to create this kind of, uh, you know, one for us, one for them, uh, a business model where we would be making a genre film and then we would be making something that we, you know, really cared about. We also found a way to really care about the genre films too. Hmm. Um, and so we, we made like over 20 feature films and uh, started this business. We had had such a good experience in film school with that distribution of that movie we wanted to provide that opportunity for other first-time filmmakers. So we started this company called New Artists Alliance. And I think we made 13 first-time filmmakers movies. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, a lot of people com- coming in, pitching ideas. It's actually really helped inform my my job now as a, you know, a tech CEO where I'm constantly pitching people, mm. you know, receiving so many pitches as a filmmaker, you know, 10 years ago and knowing it's funny because when you go into pitch, you're nervous, you've got, you're so prepared, like mm. you've got all this energy and it's easy to forget about that the person receiving the pitch, it actually takes a lot of energy for them too. Like for them to just, even though you think they're just sitting there, but if you're going to be engaged in somebody's story and you're taking it seriously, like I might, you know, invest in this project or I might invest in this product, you're taking notes in your mind, you're fully engaged and, you know, it takes energy from that side too. Mm, I can see Uh, that. One of the things that I found as we were making all these movies is that um, there's a lot of inefficiencies. And one of the main inefficiencies in filmmaking is sound. Mm-hmm. All of the products that we're using to make the sound, which is such a critical part of the audience's experience, are right. manual. They're they're digital versions of a tape machine. I mean, you might as well have a reel-to-reel tape machine and be selecting sounds and putting them into your timeline. So, so I came up with this idea of sounds that can see. We call it sonic intelligence. Right. Uh, and so we invented this technology that allows our sounds to see the visuals. And so the process of creating sound for movies, you know, something that took five hours using yesterday's tools takes five minutes uh, using our app. So that that's kind of a quick kind of trajectory of my career. Quite interesting and worldly. I have to say, Gabe, that's amazing. And so selfishly, I kind of want to understand when it comes to the pitching and the tech piece before we get into culture. What have you learned that is evidently important to have for successful pitches? So I, ha- I have a story from the very first pitch that I ever did. Uh, 
I'm family friends with a guy named Norman Lear, who's kind of a historic, famous producer. He did. Uh, a, he's a hundred years old. He's still alive. He's still producing work, and he made shows like All in the Family and The Jeffersons and Good Times and Silver Spoons and you know, t- uh, literally probably hundreds of shows. And so my very first pitch ever before I was making movies was to him, and it was for a project called Activist. Mm-hmm. It was at the time that. Uh, reality TV was a new thing. At the time, I thought, why are we celebrating these business people? We should be celebrating people who do good things, people who build parts, people who are building, you know, handicapped assistance, right, right, services, uh, people who are, 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 you know, helping people with AIDS and suffering. Like these are, there's drama inside of those stories. These people are incredible and we should be showing those stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I go in and I'm I'm all nervous. I've never pitched a project before. And I do my pitch for Norman. And he looks across the big desk at me and he says, you know, when you're pitching, you really should smile. And the, the point, uh, the note under the note is be passionate about your project, mm-hmm. right? Like bring the actual passion. You're going to dedicate years of your life to whatever the thing is that you're bringing into this bitch. Mm. You need to bring that passion, all of those reasons, all of the answers to start with why, like, why do you care about this thing? Why is this important? Not just as a money-making endeavor, but to you personally, because the more you're connected to it, the more you're going to be able to bring that into the pitch and convey that, especially in person. I don't know if you're feeling it from me over Zoom, but especially- I am. Uh, I have goosebumps. Yeah. I'm like, what yeah. are we pitching? What am I buying right now? Yeah, that's right. What are we good? Let's go. Let's go do some pitches. <laughs> but so so I would say that, that, that it's funny because of course I wish that Norman had said, let's go make the show. Mm. Uh, but even that one little line of like, you should smile and what you can get from that that line, uh, you know, like I said, you come into pitches often, you're very nervous, mm-hmm. right? You don't know what's happened for, you know, that day to the person you're pitching to. They had a fight with their family member or they, you know, have an upset stomach or they right, didn't sleep. Well, you don't know. Or they're in a great mood. Like, no matter what, what you can rely on is your belief and your passion for your your product or your or your project. Mm, mm, thank you for that, Gabe. And as you were speaking, I was getting goosebumps for two reasons. One, your passion does come across Zoom. Um, and two, the, the second piece for me is everything that you've just spoken to can parallel to culture. So mm-hmm. now that you have gone from artist to producer to now CEO in the tech space, I, I really believe that that can sub, subsequently basically follow you in the sense that if you're so passionate about your organization, if you're so passionate about your people and passionate about the mission and values that you have in place and you're walking, you walk and talking, you talk, that translates, right? So I'd like to hear more about actually from your desk though, when it comes to culture, what I guess... What have been the learning edges for you to kind of bring you where you're at today? Uh, you know, I started in bands. And when you're uh, in the in the eighth grade, a friend of mine and I asked our math teacher, who was a musician, he played like a, in the you know parking lot of the school, his couple of songs. And we went up to him and we said, we want to start a band. Will you be in the band with us? Hmm. And this guy who was probably 25 years old or something said, sure. And so... <laughs> So he joined a band with these eighth, with these crazy, you know, hormones kicking all around, nutty eighth graders. 
But what we got from that was a mentor who taught us how to uh, uh, focus on community and to mm. focus on on a process of what's needed and in what order, and that every single um, pillar of what's in a band, but you could extend this to 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 anything, um, needs attention and needs uh, uh, need needs focus and needs time, mm-hmm. and so. Now it's time to do the vocal rehearsal. And we're going to separate that from the rest of the rehearsal. Now it's time to really focus on the bass and drums. Now it's time to focus on the whole thing coming together. We're going to slow it down one song after another. And so that mentorship really extended itself into, as, as I started playing you know, through high school, well, and things start to become a business. Now we're splitting up money. We're talking about credit. When you're young, there's a lot of different kind of egos in the mm. room. And, and I got, again, really lucky. I, I started a band or I, I entered a band uh, uh, with a guy named Brian Tarr. And his uh, he was really the lead songwriter of this band, the first band that I had that kind of became a big deal. And his attitude was 100% share. Like he wrote all the lyrics. He wrote most of the songs, but he was like, you're playing bass and you're playing drums and you're playing another guitar part. I'm going to share this one, so that I only own 20%, even though I actually wrote the whole thing. And that created a culture where everyone wants to contribute for the right reasons, right? Mm. Like It's not about credit. It's not about how much money you're going to get. It's not about if I write this little bridge part, I'm going to get, you know, 8% and then that'll turn into a dollar. Mm. It was about creating a community where everything is equal. And we brought that into our first uh, feature film. So that same idea from the time that I was 16 or whatever of splitting things equally of trying to get rid of the ego and the credit. Of course, along the way as a musician, I ran into lots of different things, but that core idea we brought into that first movie that we made, you know, for $15,000 where everyone that worked on the movie got a big share of the movie. And that movie did, you know, very well. So Mm. we were able to cut checks. That wasn't a sustainable business model because some people have to work harder than others uh, if you want to keep the business afloat, the things that do well, you have to take enough money from those things so that you can have things that don't do mm. as well. You, know, you have to think through some serious business things, but again, for the community, for the greater good. And we all have to be advocates for ourselves too, uh, you know, because we all work so hard on our projects. Uh I've always tried to keep that band idea in mind, the idea of that everybody on every project that I'm part of is contributing their talent and their passion and their life experience and, you know, their hard work uh, uh, and and their voice to whatever the project is. Mm -hmm. And so one thing is you and I were talking right before, well, you know, we start, we hit record and, and and we were saying that we were going to talk about culture. One thing that, that, that comes to mind is it's easy, especially on movie sets now. As things are getting bigger, the stakes are higher. You're spending millions of dollars. Somebody has to be responsible for that money, right? You're talking about 100 people instead of five people in a room playing music, um, and things break, and things go wrong, and there's lack of communication. There is a tendency, especially on those movie sets where things are dramatic anyway, right? You're making a movie. It's about drama. It's about conflict, Uh uh, there's a tendency to roll your eyes and say, that person is so stupid. That is such a dumb thing that they did. Mm. Uh, and I have to say that every single time that I've 
stepped away from rolling my eyes and dismissing something and entered the department. Hey, what's going on in costumes? Like wardrobe, our, our outfits weren't here today. We had to postpone the shoot by two hours because your department, you know, and outside of that room, you're thinking this person is so stupid. And they say, yeah, I never got approval from this department, you know, for this thing, or the actor didn't show up for the fitting. And so now I'm having to like, sew the stuff on set. That's what you, there's, almost always a good reason and it's not that the person is stupid like making all those assumptions you know um just ends up creating unnecessary you know negativity and conflict and so that is the thing that i would say is that almost always when i actually step in to the issue with the person where the issue is coming from they are doing a as good a job as they can. They're thinking as hard as they can. They care Mm -hmm. about it. It's not that they were being flaky or stupid. It's that there was an issue that they didn't need to go past. And that leads to the thing of you really have to create open communication with all of your departments and all of the people that you're working with so that they would feel free to come and say, I haven't gotten approval of this. I'm scared that tomorrow we're going to have to delay because, or the actor didn't show up. I have to, I have to have this happen. But a lot of times people are nervous to go to, you know, I don't think of myself as an authority figure, but you are. If you're the lead producer, mm. everybody's looking to you as as the boss. You do get the best parking spot, by the way. That is the worst. <laughs> that is the I love the best parking spot. <laughs> <laughs> you stole the question right from my brain. I was like, what type of parking spot does Gabe have? <laughs> That's right. Yep. 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 Um But so I think in terms of creating a positive culture, there will always be conflict. There will Mm -hmm. always be issues. If you can kind of remove the assumptions, remove the gossip, the minute that you start hearing people chattering, like, and go and step into whatever the issue is. Mm -hmm. My experience is that above 90% of the time, there's a real reason for whatever the issue is. And the person on the other side of that issue is struggling with it and they need resources, which mm. could be, they need time. The resources are time, money, and creativity. That's what I say on set all the time. These are the three resources we have. We have time, money, and creativity, and we don't have any more time or any more money. So we got to get creative about <laughs> solving this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's And that's where kind of a mind trust can really help. Mm, definitely. And fast forward now to um, where you're at with your tech company. So the when it comes to audio design desk, what types of, I guess, culture pillars do you have in place to ensure that there's positive sustainability there? Pre-pandemic, we were working in an office. And frankly, I miss that. Mm. Um, for a while of the pandemic, I liked being at home and getting to see my family and kind of not having to drive to the office or deal with traffic or things like that. And you are able to be pretty productive working from home. But that idea, I mean, part of what we're talking about is culture. It's hard to really create the culture uh, online, right? Mm. Uh, on on Zoom. Mm. You can, you know, I lead all of the meetings. I call on each person. I make sure people have a voice. We do fun things, right? We have like little Zoom parties and <laughs> we do Zoom karaoke and Zoom, you know, trivia and things like that. Um, and we definitely keep the communication open. And I'll, I'll get back to that in one second. But I do feel like I haven't been able to create quite as 
productive a culture on Zoom as you can in person when random things happen. Like mm. I wasn't expecting to have lunch with this person and now you are, or I wasn't expect that person's dealing with this thing and it's two o'clock and now all of a sudden three people are in on that thing and we're building on it and a whole new thing happens. Um, that doesn't happen when you're meeting for you know 20 minutes in the morning uh, on Zoom. But I think what has been positive about our culture, even though it is on Zoom, is just keeping being really open with everybody. So, mm. uh, you know, everyone from the interns that we work with on up to the heads of departments are informed about what's happening at the top levels of the company. So there's there's certain things we have to keep secret for various reasons. You're working with a big company, you sign an NDA, you yes. can't talk about what that company's doing or what exactly you're doing. But beyond that, um, in these morning meetings, I really share exactly what's going on with a fundraising thing or with a business thing or with, you know, with our business, the good and the bad. And by mm-hmm. the way, it can't all be good. It mm-hmm. can't, if, it, if it's all good, then it's, you know, I mean, listen, it'd be great if it were on, a, on one sense, but to have people share in the challenges as well as the opportunity really does create that environment where like we've all experienced challenges and somebody like literally sometimes an intern will have a voice in one of the challenges that you, that I'm presenting in the morning and that'll be the spark of an idea that solves that challenge right um, um not to mention that just having a community to commiserate with you know makes you feel better mm-hmm <laughs> understand that for sure. I mean, because when we're in our kind of Zoom silos now, um, it it can feel kind of daunting or onerous in the sense of, you know, trying to to move through some of the problem solving that you would have to, especially with, with a tech company the size of yours. So when it comes to the culture setting piece, like what is it that you do on a regular to ensure that because you talked a lot about community and communication. So what are the sets or the, the things that you intentionally do to ensure that those stay in place? A bunch of things. So I think it starts with the daily meetings where mm-hmm. there's transparency and and there's a, a certain openness. I mean, listen, I'm not going to claim that every single day is some wonderful, right? A lot of times it's just catching up on what the work is. Right. But, but, uh, but often also... People are jumping in on an idea or we do various creative exercises and we'll whiteboard together, you know, using Miro and things like that to come up with new, a new name for a new part of a product or to come up with a design and we'll, you know, share our ideas around the design. Uh, Keeping the creativity flowing is really important. We have a creative tool. We have Mm. a creative company. Everybody at the company is creative, although some are more left brainy, some are more right brainy, but everyone's creative. And so to feel like everybody has a voice in the thing that we're making, I think, keeps people feel invested because the product is literally partly theirs. Also, I didn't mention this, but, but um, you know, as I said about the bands when I was young and us sharing everything like that extends to this company too. And so most of the people that work at the company have a little, you know, percentage of the company too. So I think having that ownership also gives having ownership and the, and the uh, communication keeps people emotionally invested themselves. Mm. Plus what we're making. We're making is super cool too. So that keeps people invested <laughs> also. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, 
Yeah. So I think that between uh, uh, the other thing is quarterly check-ins, mm-hmm. making, you know, meeting with each person individually and saying, you know, and, and, and not just going down the list, but having a discussion. Yes. You want to hit certain points mm-hmm. on the kind of HR list. I'm putting my quotey fingers up, HR <laughs> list. but really it's about, it's about a discussion about, uh, you know, what, what do you like doing? What do you dislike doing? Some mm-hmm. of the dislikes are part of the job description and you just got to deal with the dislikes. But For people sure. are always going to, you're always going to get 200% out of somebody when they're doing something that they're good at, that they like. And so as much as I possibly can, I find out where people are, what they like to do, and then try to direct them towards that. And there has been, especially this year, actually, a lot of like changing the specifics of what people are doing in their departments so that they can really focus on the thing where they feel like they uh, can shine. And then where, you know, some people are very like messy and other people are very organized. Well, let's let the messy people be messy in this space. Let's keep the organized <laughs> people underneath them so that we can stay focused and, uh, and, and create that kind of culture where at least the attempt, the, the, the goal mm. is for us to be a company where people are, um, are are doing things that they're good at that and that they like and mm. where that that will also help you know promote their skill set and where uh my 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 partner in this business a guy named Ryan Francesconi who was also my college roommate he said am i allowed to curse here what's the what are Yeah the- of course go for it Okay so he said he i think there's cursing in this story um he said you know a job is three things it's how much you learn how much you make and how much shit you take. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so at this job at, you know, at audio design desk and his, he's a programmer, he could be making like ridiculous money. He's like, I'm not making as much, but I take zero shit and I'm learning a ton. Mm-hmm. And it is true that the, that the, that the not taking crap from bosses and from people that oh, sort of putting that pressure on you, that's a huge pressure valve that can be released. And if you're learning and expanding right now, the, word for learning is, is expansion. So uh, 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 people then can then bring that new thing they learn. And then that leads to inspiration. So, so um, we try to give, um, we try not to give people lots of crap and we try to make sure that they're all, they're all learning. <laughs> Amazing. Gabe, I have to say I was break I was bracing myself for an F bomb to be totally honest. So we're totally fine. This is kosher. Um, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, the thought process around those three tenants are quite important from an employment perspective, because you're absolutely right in the tech space. It, it's an employee market right now, right? And, and people can walk. So ensuring that there's balance in the sense of give and take uh, from a cultural perspective is really important. So appreciate the share. I was also wondering, as you were speaking, how do you communicate your expectations to your team members? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can be challenging sometimes. I think, well, so we have a system, we have Asana, which is like a task management system. Yeah. So obviously the expectation is that the thing will be done and, and done on time. <laughs> yes. Um, I think there is an obvious cultural expectation about people will treat each other with respect. Uh, they'll be a, a, a collaborative They'll listen to other people's voices, even in the face of feeling like that voice is saying something that might not be valuable Mm. Um, because sometimes that bad idea 
By the way, J.J. Abrams says this all the time. He starts so many things with like, well, what's the bad idea? Because the bad idea leads to the good idea, Fair. right? So, so let me come up with the cliche example here, and then we'll flip the cliche example on its head, and that'll become the next scene of the show or the movie or the whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of expectations, I think, honestly, the best way to... to uh, to share the expectations with my team, with my community, is to just behave that way, to, mm. to act myself the way that I expect others to behave. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so thinking about it from that process or that seat, I guess I should say, Gabe, when it comes to people not meeting expectations, how does how does that kind of roll out for you? Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you're talking about conflict, right? Like all of a sudden somebody didn't do the thing they said they do, or they did the thing, but it wasn't done the right way. Mm. And then as the person in a leadership, you have to deal, you have to bring that up with them and how are they going to feel about it? Right? Yeah, for sure. In its simplest form, or it could be something all the way up to, okay, what's your definition of good performance? Right. So my definition of good performance from a consulting perspective is that, you know, people are industrious, they can have high levels of autonomy, there's candor and transparency, and they're huge problem solvers. And in the consulting world, problem solving is not as commonsensical as one would think it would be. Right. So one of my jobs in creating intuitive performance was to really right side myself and and kind of check my own expectations at the door and try to understand, okay, what does the business evidently need to be productive and continue to scale? And, and I guess what's my 75% versus me having the expectation that a consultant's going to be able to step in and, and meet my expectations out of the gate without me saying anything. So I guess my question has multiple parts in the sense of, how are people showing up in your organization if they're not meeting your expectation? How's it addressed? And how have you adjusted your own expectations? You know, as I can tell, Gabe, you're accomplished. You're an A player. You know, there's there's aspirations that you have at hand as well. So how do you meet people where they're at when it comes to cultural expectations? You know, I think that sometimes acting the opposite of the way that I my I emotionally want to is mm. is, is beneficial. So if something happens where I feel let down by somebody or especially let's say it's the second or third time that thing has happened. Right. And I, I feel frustrated. I want to express my frustration somewhere, but as a leader, that's what's the goal. The goal is to get the person to stop performing that way. The goal is to say to them, Here's a a mistake that's been made a few times. What resources can we give you Mm. to help ensure that that will be done, uh, you know, well the next time? So rather than say, rather than complaining or expressing frustration, which like it's sort of hard not to do, if you can flip that on its head and you can say, what resources can I give? You can be empathetic. the vast, vast, vast majority of the time of the other side comes back being like, 
you know what, I didn't get enough information about this. That like you'll you'll find out what the real issue mm. is. And sometimes the the other side will say, I just haven't made this a priority. This isn't the thing that I've scheduled and I didn't put enough time into it. I yes. am, I'm giving it a C effort and that's why it's a C result. Uh, but I think that approaching people with that kind of empathy as a company, mm-hmm. it's, by the way, same goes with days off. We don't have a number of days off. Like if you want to take a day off, take a day out. You need a personal day. You're a person. Like you're going to work better. (laughs) And it's not just, but because I'm like such a giving nice person, it's like, you're going to get the best out of your humans. If you're a human with them, they're going to feel like, well, the company, so, and it's the right thing to do. So Mm -hmm. the the company actually cares about me. I've never, I don't think ever denied somebody a day off or, or time off or time to go be with their family or with their kid or Mm. people are going to, as long as the job is done, um, I think it's important that we, I know this isn't answering exactly your question. But no, just, no, it's getting there. The, for sure. Yeah. The broader thing about culture. Um, uh, I, I think it's important that you keep uh, treat people like people and not like cogs. Definitely. And and I'd encourage the, th- the kind of think tank here, Gabe, in the sense that people are humans and, you know, a a common theme across my podcast anyways, is, you know, how do we connect that whole person when it comes to their performance? Because at the end of the day, you can't ask someone to keep their personal life outside of work. It's just not realistic. Right. But it's how do you set those conscientious expectations around, you know, bridging the personal and the professional piece so that it's a win-win essentially is what I'm hearing. Right. So yes, this is still a job and yes, we're here to do great things and and cool stuff um, at the same time. But at at the end of the day, you, you are employed. So we've agreed upon some certain core things and anything more than that. We're hoping that you have an amazing experience here. We're hoping that you have learning and development and growth. And we're hoping that, you know, there's, there's a level of respect that's there with your, your team members and the people that you, um, directly report to, et cetera, et cetera. So I love the message that you're sending there, Gabe. I think it's great. And, Further curiosity kind of has peaked. You had said something earlier where you were pointing to the styles of communication. I think you said, we'll visit that later. So how is it that you go about ensuring that you're approaching your team members so that they feel safe when it comes to that workplace environment? They feel that there is going to be consistency and that they can be their most innovative self. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a few things come to mind. One is just to, to uh, say again, that I think communication, daily communication, not just about kind of this week, I'm meeting with so-and-so, but about the larger vision. Like we have a company where hopefully everybody uh, has a stake in the larger thing that we're building. Mm -hmm. And in our case, we're building a platform for sound for audio artists for you know sound designers for sound effects artists for musicians to uh monetize their work and like there are some platforms out there now none of them distribute the work to the video makers who actually are the ones that pay for this stuff so i think everybody that works for us feels like 
what we're trying to build is important. Like, mm. it, it, because how do musicians and soundmakers make money? Like, how do they make money off their work? It's really challenging for us to be really transparent, to create a community around that and to, and to make that easier is something I think we can all feel good about. So having everybody buy in on the larger vision of what the, what the company is doing, I, I, I think is one piece of that. Um, I'm I'm trying to remember the exact question. It was about communication. Will you yeah, me? yeah, for sure. So basically, yep. um, in a more succinct way, the way that I'd ask this question is, what is it that you do intentionally, communicatively for your team members to ensure that they feel connected and there's trust to continuously be innovative? Yeah. So so the other thing is like everybody is going to uh have moments of frustration and disappointment and you know they once wanted something to be different or they're frustrated with one another and like not everybody is going to speak to me the same way that they'll speak to someone else at the company like mm. again it's not because i hold myself up as like i'm the boss i don't like that feeling really no, but okay. i am the boss and so uh, so people aren't going to talk to me the same way, just like on movie sets, they're not going to talk to the lead producer the same way that they would talk to, you know, their intern or, or another person that's kind of on the org chart on the same level. So we try to make sure at our company that, uh, uh, other department heads are speaking to, you know, are also like constantly speaking to the other people that they're working with, with the intention of saying, How's it going here? How have the last couple of months been? Mm. You know, where where are frustrations for you? Like things like that. We, I don't know. We probably get a B plus. Like we could be better at it. Like the truth is, is that you or I, the company, works hard to create a culture that is supportive of people, and but also we're so busy, right? It's like, you're so busy doing the business thing. Sometimes some of this really important work falls behind because you're just trying to keep your head above water. Mm. There's a, there's a reality about that too. But in terms of what we intentionally do, we do try to have it so that I'm speaking to each person that works at the company, you know, at least quarterly to try to kind of learn more about them, their goals, their life goals, their what they're doing here, how that can advance their career at our company and then at other companies and over time, uh, but also to make sure that uh, department heads are having those same kind of conversations so that people feel more free to, mm. you know, complain about this, like, you know, horrible boss they have. <laughs> I don't know if I go that far, Gabe. Um, one thing that you were saying really kind of piqued my interest and, and kind of sparked a memory for me in that I spoke to a leader in past and what they like their their kind of MO or their go-to when they got busy is that they would just kind of put their nose to the grindstone because that's how they were brought up. And they would go back into old habits of you know focusing on in the business and building the business versus the people in the business. And what they actually learned organically was that when a company gets so big, it's no longer about that person and what they bring to the culture. The culture can live on its own. And so they started focusing really on empowering their team members to carry forward that culture, right? So yes, they still did the one-on-ones and they still had operational meetings and stuff like that, but they were able to relinquish 
a lot of the guilt because mm-hmm. there was the core mm-hmm. team members with them that helped supported yeah. that culture. And, mm-hmm. and they had said to me, and I, I knew I was successful with my culture when I was able to walk away. And I, I don't know, they went to, um, I think they might've went to Tibet for, you know, three weeks or something like that. And when they were checking in on the business, the business still continued, the culture still, you know, and when they came back, you know, they were like, I, it was almost like a little bit of a strike to my ego because everything was fine. I didn't have any fires to put out, you know, proverbially, obviously there's some wrinkles, but from a culture perspective, they didn't have to, to be that lead constantly. So I found it really interesting in what you're saying, because, you know, it really provokes the thought process around, okay, as a leader, how can I also set my team members up for success, not just around the day-to-day stuff, but how the the company unit is organized and and going to, I guess, work from a cultural perspective? Yeah. It, so uh, more than half of the people that work at my company started as interns. Mm. And so that's really interesting because we got a lot of great interns. And then sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, like uh, often interns ask if they can have a job after the internship is done. Most of the time, the answer is we don't have, you know, availability right now or the company, right. you know, you know uh, we'd be happy to recommend you somewhere else. Uh, but once in a while, you meet these really great people who killed it as an intern. In one or two cases, they started as an intern, and within a few weeks, we were able to identify this person would be a great, you know, employee. Let's just stop the internship now. Um, the reason I'm mentioning that is because you're talking about kind of making sure the people grow, the humans at the company mm. are continuing that culture. And so, in many cases, I can think of at least three. But there might be more examples where those interns a year later have their own interns mm-hmm. and then they're you know using the same uh, 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 practices that we try to use of you know openness and making daily meetings and communication and you know respect and getting everybody's input, making sure you go around the room and you have to call on people people are scared to speak in in meetings unless they're called or they don't know if they're supposed to. So if you're the leader of the meeting, it's important to call on people. Mm. Uh, otherwise, they a lot of some people will chime in, but some people will just be shy and not. Um, so that's been really interesting, and it has been really successful. Like uh, again, in the three examples I'm thinking of, those former interns killed it as leaders of their own interns. Um, so that's one thing that comes to mind. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, I certainly could chat with you for hours when it comes to culture and sustainability. I think you're doing some amazing things with regards to, um, you know, the production industry, as well as, you know, uh, your impacts on the tech industry. So for our subscribers, Gabe, can you tell us how can we reach you um, or reach someone (laughs) within Audio Design Desk? Sure. You can just write to me at Gabe at ADD.app. Gabe at ADD.app. Oh, here it is. I don't know if this is going to be visual too. Oh, yeah. App. Um, so uh, you can write to me or you can write to info at ADD.app. Um, we'd be happy to hear from you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Gabe, and take good care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm glad you could join us. 
If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay updated with our latest content, make sure to visit our website. The link can be found in the episode description where you can subscribe to the podcast, sign up for our newsletter and learn more about our whole person leadership services. Sounds interesting? Explore the whole person leadership cohort by Intuity Performance, a unique program that offers unparalleled support to managers on every step of their leadership journey. Our program features evidence-based assessments, workbooks, group coaching, and interactive learning experiences to help you level up your leadership skills. Reach out today to apply to one of our upcoming cohorts. Until next time, take care and stay curious.